Welcome to Bickering Peaks. My name's Aiden, and this is the podcast covering a show with enough character names to make a normal human being struggle. And then there's me, and I can't remember a single name at the best of times, so 217 speaking roles is 216 too many for me. <laughs> That's it. it. That is very true. That sums it up yeah. beautifully. Well, for me, yeah. Uh, I think my intro is better. It's not. It is better. Okay. Welcome to Bickering Peaks, the podcast equivalent of Mike Nelson calling Stephen Burnett an asshole during a job interview. I have no idea what that means. I don't know either. I really struggled with this one. <laughs> okay, Yours I can is tell. probably better. Yeah. Well, mine's just easy because it's just about me. Anybody can write about themselves. You should just do yours about you every time. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I really easier. should. It would yeah. be easier. I was going to say something about shit shovels, but I couldn't. Oh, yeah. That could have been good. Yeah. Well. A show, shit shovels. That's a lot of shh. Yeah, Could have done something with that. Okay, well, yeah. maybe next time, if it comes yeah. back again. Oh, I'm sure it will. Shit Shuttle Show yeah. will be in the works. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm Lindsay. You're yes, Aiden. Yes. And we're here to cover part five. Yes, Case Files. Case Files, yes. Yes. Uh, we had some predictions coming into this episode just between the two of us. All wrong. All wrong. Well, well I thought Well, I thought the, the case wrong. files would be like police case files. Yeah. And they were insurance case files, so we yeah. heard nothing more about. Although there are files related to police cases. Sure. Sort of. Yeah, but it's not... Yeah. So, let's start with the overall impression of the episode. Yeah. And some some basic high-level, maybe, analysis and theorizing. Your your initial take on the episode. Or the part. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did it differently this time. We watched watched it, and then we watched... We waited about an hour, and then watched it again. Yeah. Um, And I loved... I love this episode. It really it really made me angry that we're only getting an hour. <laughs> yes, it really hurt this time to just be like, it's like I no, was set up for four again. It. Yeah. But uh but it was such a good hour of television. I really thought it was up there with I mean, I, I still think the the purple room lavender world sequence from part three is my favorite mm-hmm. thing that we've seen so, so far. far. But this episode really did or this part really felt I don't know, it felt really good. It feels like a, like a lot happened and nothing happened, which yeah. is a weird place to be in. Yeah, I, I was thinking after the episode, I'm like, nothing. Well, we were like 20 minutes in. I'm yeah, like, nothing has happened. happened. This is so terrible. I don't like it anymore. Yeah. And then after the episode was over, I'm like, oh, no, I can't cut a single scene. Like, mostly because yeah. I have no idea where anything's going. So sure. I can't tell what's actually important. But uh, but the, we found so many things that we could talk about. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot going on. And you got a bunch of new characters again. You're, and a bunch of old characters. We yeah. got the return of a whole bunch of older like original characters, mm-hmm. which was time. great. Yeah, which was great to see. It, and then, a lot of it took place in Twin Peaks this time. Yeah, much which more. really goes quite far towards the yes. maybe placating those who thought it didn't have enough Twin Peaks. Yeah, up to this point. Yeah, um, there's obviously some frustrating parts. Yep, Dougie still, continues to yeah, challenge. Yeah. yeah, challenged with Dougie. Although I think that's that's heading somewhere yeah. more quickly than. Yeah, maybe we expect. Yeah. 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 And uh and and there are some issues with I'm not gonna say they're issues, no. I take that back. Um the way that misogyny that that criticism is still being leveled at, at David Lynch, um, it's come up in a couple of different places that I've read about in the last twenty four hours or so. 
just based on the treatment of some of the women in this and the way that other women are portrayed. Mm-hmm. Women are not portrayed as well in this. Yeah. Well, I feel like a lot of the women that were great in the original series mm-hmm. are just not getting as much screen time. We don't get much of Shelley. We don't get much of Norma. We have nothing of Audrey so mm-hmm. far. Uh, Annie's disappeared. Yeah, uh, Sarah is... is. Yeah, we got we, one yeah. shot so far of Sarah, who's a yeah. really interesting character. But um, then the new characters that we haven't introduced to, and, and a lot of people are still uh, focusing on Tammy Preston, yeah. um, she didn't have any, any speaking parts this episode. She did have one uh, fairly long scene. Yeah, but of it nothing, was, really, Of nothing, yeah. yeah. Well, we don't really know what's going yeah, on there, but... She ha- she still hasn't done much, and mm-hmm. so it's like here you have a, a and Denise isn't back. Yeah, Denise back has had yet. just the same. Scene. So these powerful women who are coming in, in in sort of authoritative or positions of authority anyway, yeah. aren't really they don't really have much to do. No, yet no. Um, but then nobody really has much to do, and that's well, yeah, that's kind of what's that's... really interesting about this episode. And and I think um, Aiden, you were talking about how. Uh, on kind of a, like a really high level thematic level, high level thematic level, I just said. Mm-hmm. That's um, something you said. Uh, that it it feels like this is a um, I don't know a criticism or a, a macrocosm microcosm of America. Yeah, I think it just it's a very distinctly American episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lynch has always been an Americana yeah. director. His films are, you know, they have to be in America. There's nowhere mm-hmm. else that these movies could be set. And Twin Peaks is another great example of that. And I feel like this episode, it's the first episode in a long time that we don't go to the Red Room. Right. We don't go to any mystical, otherworldly place. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is in America. And I feel like that, just even that that change of focus and setting into this, into the locales that we're getting familiar with now has revealed a lot of that kind of, um, you know, the dark underbelly of America and the the weird dynamics and and systems at play that are uniquely American get highlighted here. Uh, right. You know, everything from Jacoby to the casino um, to Dougie's boardroom experience. Right. You know, uh, there's a lot of very typically American things that happen in this episode that are really, really interesting, I think. And it feels... I read this somewhere else and I'm blanking on... I read so many of these articles today um, that it's it feels like a... Like a condemnation of middle class Americana mm. or American middle class systems, where it's like, here's Dougie who's being put in, put through the motions. Really, he just has to kind of, he doesn't have any agency. Yeah. Yes, people are helping him, which is is one way that I I hadn't really considered that 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 he is kind of being helped. He's at least not being hurt by the people. I think Joel yeah. Baca was the one who wrote that. Yeah. That it's not... Um, these people aren't actively going out of their way to cause him more uh, trouble. They help him find the bathroom. Yeah. And they help him, you know, walk him to the, his boss's office when he yeah. gets in shit. And it's like they're yeah. not making his life any harder. Yeah. Even if they're not actively making it better. Mm-hmm. In that way, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And then the whole idea that, like, his wife doesn't really seem to care much about him or his well-being. She's only interested in him as much in as much as he's the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's bringing home the bacon. In this case, $425,000 worth of bacon. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, 
it's a weird place for this show to be in, especially considering that the the again, so much of this episode is focused on the trials and tribulations of this Dougie Jones who is Cooper, but but not really. Not really Cooper. Yeah. And, and it hurts us because we know what he's capable of being. And we know who Agent Cooper is. Yeah. Yeah. But to see him struggling so much with just everyday basic things. Yeah. It's um, hard. Yeah. It is hard. You just keep rooting for him to find his way back. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, Doppelcoop. Yeah. Who's at his... Most the, Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Way. Yeah. And, and his most powerful still. Even yeah. though he's in prison. Yeah. Doesn't seem to affect him that much. And showing... Um, some elements or some aspects of of Agent Cooper himself yeah. in a way, yeah. which is weird. Well, yeah, and that's that we can get into DC's yeah. character a little bit more later on, but um, it's definitely interesting because mm-hmm. this episode expands on that his his role for sure. Uh, there's some interesting music stuff going on too in in this yes. episode. We've, yes. We get some hints of new music uh, or new yeah. music kind of themes or cues that are being used. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also get two Johnny Jewel songs, and I just from mm. the album Windswept that was released last month or in yeah, April. right before it um, aired, basically. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, we there was a lot of speculation about what kind of songs were going to be used uh, in. used from this album because there were obviously hints that some of them would be. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, they fit really well. They do. I mean, I didn't even notice them, and I kind of assumed they were Bad Elementi until you pointed it out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it feels right. The the other interesting thing is, again, there's, but there's still a lot of, there's a lack of music. It is, Really, yeah. I mean, you still have the Roadhouse, and then the one instance that's really t- interesting in this episode is um, with the drugged out mom yeah. and her music cue, which goes nowhere and feels... Well, and it doesn't feel just, like Twin Peaks. We'll, we'll get there, too, but it doesn't feel like a Twin Peaks music. No. It's, it's very it's very dramatic and yeah. very interesting, and yeah. I, I think it's great, but it's just so jarring. Yes. It's very cool. Yes. The things that are happening here. Yeah. Okay, so do you want to get started with... Yeah. The episode Let's begins with... Um, we're in Vegas, and yes. we get this from some skyline shots, and whoever... We should know this. Who's the director of cinematography? The director of photography? No, cinematography. Oh, I don't know. Uh, well, is that a separate job? I don't even know my movie roles, but I feel like those the skyline shots here and in New York um, were both really just, they capture light in a, in a very interesting way. Um, and yeah, I don't I don't know how to describe it, but they're, they're just lovely exterior helicopter shots of the cities. Yeah, and it, it's like a, a very... Um they're unique ways of looking at like I, I'm thinking of the the initial shot we got of New York City yeah. where it's like a very unique way of portraying New York City. Usually you see it from the ground, you're looking up at the skyscrapers, and we did get some of yeah, that. Yeah, you're across, you're in Brooklyn or something like that, yeah. and you're getting in the skyline that way. <clears throat> but, uh, but this is like you're in the middle of Midtown, and you're kind of like looking down, at down the across which it. Is yeah, interesting. yeah, which was interesting. And then here, I found the way it captured the neon signs, right? And and again, just the the light of the Vegas nighttime skyline yeah. is is interesting because it is a it's a very distinctive skyline again with the. You got the strip and the hotels there, and then mm-hmm. beyond that, Vegas kind of disappears. It's it's a, it's a whole other town. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's I just I loved looking at that shot again, just like the New York one, just for like wow, I've never seen Vegas that way. Even though we have, but it feels like it's it different. It feels different. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know how what it is that makes it that way, but yes. It's well, it's worth Peter learning. Deming is the the cinematographer. Okay. Um, and obviously, there's you know Lynch would have a, a hand in yeah, of course, saying yes. what those yeah. shots would look like, yeah. but. 
yeah so yeah no but it looks great but yes we, we open up in in las vegas and we get uh gene is one of the guy's names okay. the guy that you thought looked like uh a scuzzy uh what's his jason name schwartzman. jason schwartzman yes um <laughs> gene and then the other guy the long hair guy yeah yeah who were out to kill dougie yes um in part three part yeah, four part three or four wherever he um, came out yeah they're hanging out in Rancho Rosa again, looking for... Well, they're looking at his car. Yeah, because like, it hasn't yeah, still moved. there. Yeah. And they place a call to a woman whose name, I think, is Lorraine. I think so. And she says... Well, she's freaked out. Yeah, she's super agitated. Because scared. this was supposed to have happened yesterday. Yeah. Like the, or two days ago or something yeah. like that. This yeah. hit. Um, and she places another... Well, it seems like she places a call... Now this was interesting to me because she's she's using a BlackBerry. Yes, a very that's old a very BlackBerry. old BlackBerry. I was I did my research. And oh. This is a, right. a pre-color screen BlackBerry. So the sixty six thousand or sixty two hundred series okay. Blackberries um, were replaced by color uh, color screens yeah. in two thousand three. So this is pre two thousand three, probably two thousand two. The 6210, I think, was named one of Time's top like greatest, 10 yeah, gadgets yeah, ever, yeah. Um, which is It's weird. like the ubiquitous, like, you have it in yes, your side pocket exactly. as a businessman kind of guy. And that's what it looked like. That's what yeah. this looks like. So it's it's one, yeah, it's very ubiquitous for about 2002, 2003, which struck me as very odd. Well, because the go the, the hitman, what's his name again? Gene. Gene. Uh, he hangs up with a, a touchscreen, like regular screen smartphone, yeah. So, I mean, David Lynch is not known for being uh, the most... Well, especially when it comes to technology. It doesn't yeah. seem to matter so much, yeah. right? It's like, we're going to use whatever needs to get the job done. Whatever we need to use, that's what we'll use. But the fact that we have this old, clunky piece of tech uh, from a year that... I mean, we're, we're, it's like 15 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. When when this was popular to use, um, and she's not making a call. She types in a word. She types in Argent, yeah. and then in the next line, she types the number two. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, yeah, is this uh, is this like some kind of you know a text message system? Is he just is this just David Lynch using tech in whatever way he wants? Yeah. <laughs> it, it it could mean absolutely nothing, but I thought it was interesting because it's it's such an old and we focus on it for so long. We get a nice close up shot. I was able to research, like yeah, the model number exactly, yeah, exactly yeah. because of of the the close ups that we got of this. Yes, and then from there though, uh, we go to what we find out later is Argentina, yes. Buenos Aires, and there's a light bulb in like a derelict building or something, mm-hmm. and we get a zoom in of a black box, yeah, with two little red lights on top. It blinks twice after. The way I think you're supposed to interpret the scene is that this has been a message that's sent to this black box. Right. So she's communicating with the black, the box, black box with her BlackBerry? Yes. Um, Maybe. And I, I, my question is, I mean, there are obviously tons of ways to interpret this. I, my mind instantly went to the phone is from old times, mm-hmm. and so is the box. The box is actually in 2003 right now. Ah. And the phone has been tied time-wise to this box that right. is always in this one point in time. Maybe. No idea if that's actually going to hold up. Probably well, I, not. I just assumed that this was now, like, because it's one of the theories that's been floating around that, that the Las Vegas scenes are taking place in A the past time, yeah. at some point. Yeah. Maybe it's taking place in 2003. And there's yeah. some other evidence from later on in the episode that kind of fits with that, but kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't, yeah. Uh, again, it's like the Blackberry. It's It could yes. be just a red herring or yeah. it could be 
David Lynch just using something for one purpose and ignoring the others, yeah. which is his prerogative. Yeah, where as he's, he's allowed to do. to do that. That's right. Um, it, it was interesting to me that she types in Argent. Yes. Uh, which, I mean, we have lots of references to silver and gold. Well, Argent. Yeah, well, I mean, the Silver Mustang Casino. Okay. The Silver State of Nevada. Um, Argentina itself is yeah. the, you know, where silver, like yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. name, the mines, yeah. right? Yeah. It, that's where it comes from. Um, so it's it's interesting. For, and, and from like an alchemical standpoint. Yes. You know, we had gold. We had uh, references to gold in The Secret History of Twin Peaks. We saw Dougie turn into a gold ball or part of Dougie turn into a gold ball in... Uh, uh, part one, three or part four, three yeah. or four. Uh, so we're we're dealing with precious metals here. Is there something to that? Yes. We just then, don't have enough information yet. But I thought it was no. No, and then when we see the box again, that may also yes. come into play. So, yeah, yeah. so let's move on. Uh, in Buckhorn, yes, uh, we get the coroner, who's hilarious and delightful. Constance, the comedy club headliner, yeah. I have in my notes. <laughs> she's great. She's great. She's, yeah. she's really great. It's yeah. like it's straight up humor. This yeah. is her just, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I love how the cops are the straight man, and they just they do not bite. I'm laughing my ass off. Yeah, it's great. Um, so she says, well, she basically gives a rundown of. How he died. Obviously she's she's talking life. about the body that was found in Ruth Davenport's bedroom. Yes, the, the male body. Yes. The bottom half. Um, and she says, oh, well, you know, he died. He didn't have anything in his stomach except for this. And he pulls out a ring. Yeah. And then the detective's like, oh, there's an inscription. And it reads that, to Dougie with love uh, from Janie. 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 Yeah. Um, and then they all kind of like exchange quizzical looks. And she makes a mention of like, maybe you should check out the wife or right. something like that. Uh, but we still don't know who this is at this point in time. And yeah. they don't know who it is. No. Um, but at this point, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is Dougie's body. Right. Which means for sure this is DC or regular Cooper coming into Dougie's body was in the in the past. And then he's going to die at some point in the future. But then that all gets confuzzled in about 20 minutes time. <laughs> uh, so it is it is weird, though. Right. I mean, we mm-hmm. had these prints come up with the prints from the body come up as military. military classified, yeah. uh, which I mean, everybody is suspecting that this is Major Briggs. Well, so it looks like Major Briggs' body too. It does. Like heavy set so, man. And yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, Dougie was yeah a larger a larger gentleman. gentleman as well. So yeah. yeah, but it's interesting that if this is Major Briggs, what was he doing with with Dougie's wedding ring? Yeah, how and did that? Is the only thing in his stomach for multiple yeah. days. So yeah, so it it does uh, beg some questions. That yes, it does. Opens more doors that we just yeah we don't know. Feels like these are side quests in a in a massive multiplayer well, you, online <laughs> role play game. Did I do that right? You did. Very wow, good. that's awesome. Having never played one. Having never played or any one. role playing game. Nope. You know I what a side quest was. I know what side quests are. Good. Good. I've seen the, I'm proud. the, the memes on Imager. The cat with the sunbeam. The sunbeam on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. He's definitely. That's what this definitely. feels like. This feels like, and then and then you have to go down that that road. But this is what's beautiful about these episodes, about these parts. And Joel Baco said this in a couple of his posts that these feel like episodes you can get lost in. Mm-hmm. You can luxuriate in them, and that's what this. That's a great word for it. This part five feels luxurious. Okay. It feels like a nice big feather bed that you just want to like crawl in and. <laughs> And then Mr. I, C I, shows yeah. up, and he's the he's the Freddy Krueger yeah, claw that comes, yeah, comes up through up, the yeah. through the middle of the mattress, yeah. just to ruin your life. No, sure. I mean, I I I think there's the Dougie scenes are a little too uncomfortable still for me to to really luxuriate. I still luxuriate love them. them. I still but feel I do. Like I it's do. A great. 
And I, and I, I love watching him develop. Yeah. I just did air quotes mm-hmm. because... Like you feel like there is some motion there with Dougie, but you don't know where it's let's, going. Let's so talk we'll about come, Mr. We'll Scene back because that's the next yes. the next scene. Yes, is uh, is in prison, and this scene is the opposite of all the the fun things that we just got from Constance and all the beautiful things that we're going to get from Dougie. Um, because well, beautiful. well, yeah, I would say it's beautiful. Okay, Dougie drinking coffee in the elevator is a beautiful. Yes, moment. that that is a beautiful moment. So, anyways. Uh, DC's in prison. He's in bed. Uh, he predicts the arrival of his food. Well, yeah, I think I think after a period of time, you well, he's only been he's there been for there a day. day. No, it's That's it's true. DC. He's got something going for him. He's got Cooper's intuition working for him. Um, so you, again, you get that long slow shot of the guy delivering the the food. Is he the only person on this cell block? I, I get the feeling. Yeah, yeah. maybe. They maybe he's being in kept in solitary isolation. or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, uh, not solitary, but yeah, I, isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he Cooper just kind of grabs food, sets aside, and he looks in the mirror. And this yeah. is the scene that we were all waiting for. That is, mirror shot. Yeah, what does DC see in the mirror? And we get a, a great flashback. Oh yes, of course, of, the flashback. Of Doppelcoop and, yeah, and Frank Silva as, as Bob laughing that maniacal laugh together. And it's beautifully cut, too. It's like yeah. forward and backward and, and repeating the scene. Like it just... It's yeah. cut in such a gorgeous way. And then you get the, the head smash into the mirror. Yes, from... Which is so... and. What okay? So what's great about this scene is that we didn't know what was happening until maybe halfway through the morph that yeah. goes on, and I I still like there were people who were shocked to find out that that had happened. Like they didn't even catch it when they watched it mm-hmm. because it's so well, subtle I, I, it as was, opposed yeah. to the way that it was done back yes. in 1991, yes. which was using you know yeah. two actors and, and a yeah. glass. Like it wasn't there were there were no. Uh, it was all done in camera special yeah. effects, yeah. right? Um, here we get this amazingly slow digital manipulation of Kyle McLaughlin's face turning into Frank Silva's, yeah. and it's so incredibly slow and so subtle. Yeah, I didn't notice it the first time until you said, "Oh my God, he's turning into Bob," and I was like, oh, "He is!" Like and I he, didn't, like, yeah, yeah and just even like at small the end, moments, yeah. when. Because he turns back much quicker than yes. he turns into Bob. He yeah. turns back to, to yeah. Mr. C quicker. And then it's like, oh, my God. So it's like it's really only when you have the, like, either no light in your room at all. So you can see all the detail on the screen and you have your screen brightness maybe turned up really high mm-hmm. or something that you can see how how incredible it is. Yeah. And, and like there's like extra silver in the hair, <laughs> yeah, no, and the smile, and the well, nose, and, and the, the eyes. way, yeah, his just his his uh, mouth <sighs> is shaped and everything. It was, I wasn't as blown away as. Oh, you. it scared I, me so much. My heart was just <laughs> thudding in my chest. It was like, oh my god. I guess I was ignorant of it, so I guess that didn't that didn't affect me in the same way. But um, he does then say, "You're still with me. That's good." Yeah. And that just raises all sorts of questions. What is the relationship between Bob and Doppelcoop and regular Coop? And mm. why is Bob just something that can just leave anytime? Like, I know he did that to Leland, so is that something? But is he just along for the joy? Is he getting a bunch of Garmin Bosia by absorbing all the bad things Cooper's doing? Like, it's really not clear. Well, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's interesting <laughs> because um, it. I had this conversation, uh, a couple different people I've had this conversation with that think that... Um, it's different than with Leland, where Leland had his his personality was still there. Bob was like inhabiting Leland. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like Bob is inhabiting Doppelcooper. Yeah, no. They feel it feels like he's just like paras- He's a parasite. He's just on along for the ride mm-hmm. because Doppelcoop is is fully in charge of what he's yeah 
like what his goals are, what yeah. he's doing. I mean, if you think of Bob as as he's described by Mike in whatever season two, one of the mm-hmm. episodes, um, as a creature lives for you know the fear and the pleasures. Yeah, fear and pleasures. Yeah. Who better to take along with than than Cooper? I mean, right. the fact that he did it with. Leland for so long was really just his access to Laura potentially. Well, and maybe Leland's weakness too. Exactly, yeah. But but there were moments where you could see that there was a struggle going on between Leland and Bob, and there there doesn't seem to be that with no. with Doppelcoop. So I'm I'm hesitant to say that it's like inhabit. He's not inhabiting. Well, I feel like he is still inhabiting. I feel like that's what Bob does. But it's, but but it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not controlling. He doesn't yeah, control. No. He's just. He's there. He's like, yeah, and I'll keep feeding me, buddy. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that the the word that he uses is with. You're mm-hmm. still with me. Yeah. He's just he's his familiar. That's exactly. what it that's exactly what it feels like, like it is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it's. Uh, I think that's where we're headed with this. Maybe that's what Mike. Yeah. Maybe maybe the arm was where he thought Bob lived in yeah, his body but he was because wrong. Bob was his familiar. Maybe there weren't two of them. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it's getting messy. Yep, But it's totally. great. We love it. Speaking of Mike... Yeah! We go back to Twin Peaks. Well, probably around there. Yep. Uh, to the car dealership called North Bend Chevrolet. Well, that's, Mike... that's where it was filmed. <laughs> yes. North Bend Chevrolet. But it, it mm. I, I just assumed that this was a car yeah, dealership. Yeah, it, it felt like it. It felt like a car dealership office, the way he's... And as soon as I saw Mike Nelson, I'm like, yeah, totally. He's a car, car dealer. Like, yeah, that's what he does. Yeah, yeah. Probably used cars. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, he's scuzzy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. he's the asshole. He really, the asshole. he is. Um, but he calls in for a guy named Steven, who we meet for the first yes. time, uh, who walks in far too confidently. And then Mike just shuts him down. Totally. He's a total dick about it. He's like, you got, you have no respect, blah, blah, blah. He's basically, he's talking millennials. Yeah. He's an old man. It's, yeah. it's quite great. Um, and Steve's just like heartbroken and pissed and like just, you know, doesn't take it well. Yeah, because he's, he's applying. Off. Did you say he was applying for a job? Yeah, he's applying for a job. Yeah, and, and Mike rips apart his resume. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's harsh, but probably deserved. Yeah, The guy yeah. doesn't seem the guy like doesn't he seem knows like he's what with he's with it yeah. at all. Uh, but then, yeah, Mike um, calls, calls him an asshole as he leaves. And uh, we don't get much more in that, in that scene, but it yep. sets up uh, yeah, an coming. interesting kind of an interesting dynamic that this is where our... Our older characters have grown up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's Mike. He's maybe made something of himself, or at least he's not dealing drugs anymore. He's, you know, making an honest living. So yeah. give him credit for that. Yeah, but, but he's it's, still, I, it is he's a hard ass. Like, yeah. he's, he's, he's just a... He's still a dick and an asshole. He's just a dick and an asshole. As an adult. As an adult. Well, as and being it, a boss, and it's, you know. And it's, it's funny legal. because <laughs> Stephen is a more extreme version of what Mike and Bobby were yeah. when they were kids. Yeah. But well, I don't know. We don't know. We haven't we, seen enough of him. You're yet. right, but but, but it he's does definitely seem like reminiscent he's, of that. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. here's Mike. You know, it's it's that that it's that ironic bit where you get older and you start calling out the younger generation on the shit that you did when yeah. you were. You well, know? I think I think Mike was always just better at hiding it. Like you think even Maybe. of him in the pilot uh, when he arrives at the Haywards doorstep. Yeah. I um, mean, he's he's trying to be all polite sure. to, to Doc Hayward and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he was always better. He was a good cover man. He yeah. was he was to to adults he could appear honest and yeah, and, a bit more clean yeah, cut. Yeah, exactly. Even though he really wasn't. Yeah. Um. And he's I think he's just telling Steve to do the same thing. So maybe maybe or at least get close enough, right? So we we speaking of uh, previous characters yes. that we've met and fallen in love with, we go back to the sheriff's station. Yeah. Um. And we get uh, Lucy giving. Um, more of her over the phone directions uh, to Frank Truman, Sheriff Frank Truman, about his wife who's on her way to see him. He's in 
Deputy Chief Hawk's office for some reason. Yeah, maybe he's just he was going to meet talk or, or he's something. Hiding he's out. hiding out. I, I think he's I hiding out. He's After hiding. meeting his wife, I'm assuming that he's hiding. But he is initially t- speaking to his brother, Harry. Yes. Who's sick. And who sounds really sick. Like he's ta- They're talking about like test, test results. Lesson. Like I'm thinking it's cancer oh, yeah, yeah. or something no, like he's, that. There's a reason yeah. that he's not in the show. Yeah, it's not like he's just out with a cold. This yeah. is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Lucy, all she said previously That's true, was is that he's sick. sick right? I, I so. immediately assumed he was very, very sick. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Doris, his wife, arrives. And, and it's funny because uh, it seems like Harry said, oh, hang tough or something. Because sure. then uh, Frank says, oh, you hang tough, Harry. Because, mm. you know, you're the sick one. I just have to deal with my insane wife. Well, yeah, we don't know she's insane until she walks in, though. Yeah. And yeah. she is a piece of work. Yep. I feel like she's kind of like Nadine 2.0. Yeah. She's just, just this super shrew wife. Yes. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of sad to watch the basically it's the exact same relationship even like mm-hmm. just like Ed was henpecked and, yeah. and just okay, you yeah. know, Sheriff Truman just he just responds calmly and mm-hmm. he's he's been beaten into submission kind of by this Well, or this is this how woman. he handles his wife, right? He yeah. just kind of goes along with it and Yes. But she she goes flies off the handle about a leaking pipe and about I'm assuming their dogs. Yeah, I couldn't that tell. That were sick or something and her dad needs a car yeah. and she just has a list of problems. And nothing he can do is ever good enough yeah. and, and it's again, it's another one of those David Lynch ones where the relationship is so simple mm-hmm. that you can get it in yeah. 30 seconds and but it does reveal a little bit about Frank Truman. Again, I was kind of criticizing him for not having the patience with Lucy and everything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if he's married to this woman and they have kids or grandkids even, you know, obviously the man or is Or even a just a leaky pipe. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's all you need. And then you come to work and you got to deal with Lucy. It's like, all right, yeah. we'll cut him some slack. Yeah, for sure. A little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of, of henpecked husbands, we go immediately to Las Vegas and we get another mm-hmm. scene with Janie and Dougie. Yeah. And there was some speculation after part three and four that maybe Janie and Dougie weren't married. I think that's kind of been they, well. It seemed like they had more of a brother sister relationship, which I didn't. I, I didn't I buy into so. that. Yeah. But it's very clear that this is a married couple, oh, yeah. and they are in the almost exact same boat. Here's Janie, who just cannot. She she just cannot with Dougie. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting that she. She's telling him what to do. She still hasn't really, it seems, picked up that something is wrong. But well, she does mention that this yeah. seems like one of you're having one of your episodes again. Yeah. Which is, again, what I'd kind of mentioned in the past. Which right. is that the only way this is possible is that Dougie is this bad is if he's he's behaved like this in some to some extent well, before. Well, and that, and that made me wonder, like, is it is something medical? Is it like, I don't know, like epilepsy or something where you'd go into some kind of a... Yeah, or is it a lodge thing that because well, he was maybe. manufactured, he has periods where his brain just shuts down? But she and, must yeah, have some operates like, like real world explanation for it. She calls them episodes, right? Like, well, no, yeah, she there, can just call them episodes. I like, guess. if you don't know what they are, you just call them. If she gets better every time, you just move on, right? But especially in America, I don't think Dougie has great insurance, even though he works in an insurance yeah, company. That's true. So yeah. Um. So yeah, it and. So okay, so she fixes his tie, which I thought was interesting because yeah, in the said, previous episode she said she didn't know how to. I mean, she doesn't do a great job. No, but I but mean, she still knows still, how to do yeah, it. So yeah. it's it's almost like she's it's it's like she's she doesn't want to have to do these things, but she knows if she doesn't do them, they're not going to get done. So she's going to do them. Well, especially in his current state, that's absolutely true. So. Right, but she doesn't but yeah, have any sympathy for him either. No, yeah, I feel like this either. is something that 
he's done in the past again. Sure. Like he's not tied his tie, and yeah, he's he's forced her to do as can't go pee. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, but you know, he, she's used to taking care of him. Sure, she resents it, but she's still used to doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting. We can get into that. But anyways, there are three important things that happen in this scene. Yeah. Uh, Cooper cries at the sight of uh, Sunny Sunny Jim Jim sitting in there, just lonesome in the backseat, and Cooper just starts crying, and and it's not immediately clear why. I mean, mean, do you have any idea why? Well, Sunny Jim just looks kind of sad and depressed and lonely sitting in the backseat. There's something about being alone in a car that is inherently depressing. Right. (laughs) So I feel like he's just tapping into that that kind of emotion that, that, that evinces, and like Cooper at this stage feels like if he can do anything it's it's some basic emotions so mm-hmm. he's and he's obviously identified with jim he's given him the thumbs up in the past yeah. and they bonded over breakfast and everything um that, that's where people have have kind of started thinking that maybe sunny jim is somehow related to the lodge as yes. well and that he might be sort of connected to the room service waiter yes um just because of the way the thumbs up was delivered yeah. reminded us of season two yeah uh, season season two episode one, yeah. and uh, maybe that's why he's crying because well, the other I, time when Cooper showed a lot of emotion was when the waiter came up to him in the roadhouse on the night of Maddie's death and yeah. said, "I'm so sorry." So exactly, maybe yeah. there's some kind of a link. Yep. That he's remembering. Yep. Could be. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is uh, the waiter was a a connection for the giant, right? Uh, who was now question marks in yes. season three, uh, but question marks in the initial thing said there this is in our house now mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Um, in so Dougie's if, house, maybe? Yeah, in Dougie and Sunny Jim's house, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps that's part of the thing. I, and that's why I feel like if they're building a lot more connections, they've already devoted basically two and a half episodes to Dougie. Mm-hmm. I feel like his his role is actually going to be more than than just yeah. like a temporary vessel for, Possibly. for Cooper, right? So but we can find out about that. The other two important pieces of information, Dougie won $425,000. Right, it's a lot of money. Uh, and Janie e. has hidden it. Yeah. Uh, and that they owe $50,000 to them. Yeah. Whoever they are, yeah. they owe him fifty thousand dollars. And Naomi wants uh, character wants Dougie to call that day, set up a meeting, and give him the money back, yeah. uh, which we know is not going to happen. I'm assuming that this is a gambling debt because yeah, she mentioned like, she doesn't yeah. want him going off gambling and drinking again. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that that's he he has a problem. Yes, with gambling. I, I also think the secret hiding spot means at some point someone's going to come asking for this money and, yes. and someone's going to get punched in the face until yes. they disclose this information. This is exactly so, what I'm thinking. Is yeah, I feel bad for Naomi Watts because she's the only one who knows right now. Although, maybe Sunny Jim knows. Ah, uh, let's not do- I hope Let's not. not go there. Let's not hope. So we go to Rancho Rosa um, and we get the hitmen driving by again. Yeah. Uh, very briefly. Um, and then another set, uh, this time a black muscle car. Yeah. Very reminiscent of, of uh, just like they had the red Corvette and right. uh, what's his name's Bobby's black Thunderbird or whatever. Right. There's another red and black set of muscle cars. Uh, they come down the street blaring this like industrial noise metal again. It's, yeah, yeah. it's very uh, just deafening and there's yeah. like a screaming sound as they approach. And they also look at Dougie's car. Right. Uh, and then they kind of... We don't immediately know what their deal is. No, no. But um, it's just more intrigue yes. with this... But we do get a quick shot of the close-up of Dougie's license plate. Yes. Yeah, so this was something that I brought up, uh, posted a screenshot to our Twitter last night, that um, the typical Las Vegas or typical Nevada license plate with a registration sticker in the corner that said 03 on it, which to most people, most places in the world, that would mean the year that of expiry for your registration. I was informed by some people, uh, Nevadans, Nevadians? N- Nev- Nevadians? Nevadians. 
Nevada residents yeah. that uh, that the number is actually the month of expiry and that the year of expiry is written along the side of the sticker, but both year and month are on these registration registration stickers. Um, I'm not sure that that matters too much because we've already seen that in these Las Vegas scenes that technology doesn't. We, we've seen an old BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've seen touchscreen phones, though. And well, when yeah, we, we continue have, following but, Dougie, we get even more technology. So, but I do feel like this is important. Like, this is not something. I don't think, like, because the, the license plate itself is not identical to to one that you would see. It's it's a production prop, right? Mm-hmm. So the sticker is a production prop. So David Lynch can do whatever the hell he wants with these props, mm-hmm. and he's putting a number there for a reason. So maybe it's not indicative of this being 2003. That's a popular theory that's floating around on Reddit, that this is actually taking place in 2003. Um, but I think the fact that it's a number three is important because mm-hmm. we've seen number threes come up a lot. If it is just the month that this is expiring in, March is the third month of the year, and that's you know comes up again a little bit later on mm-hmm. with some things. And March is the month where most of the original series events take yep. place. Take that for what it whatever it's worth. Yep. Um, I just think it's worth noting. Yeah, also worth noting on the license plate is LV. Dougie, Doug E. LV is yep. Las Vegas or 55. Yes, exactly. Um, in Roman numerals, which yes. is also just another numer- numerology thing. Fives have been coming up a lot, yes, especially in part four. And 55 being one of those double numbers that are important to numerology as well. Uh, okay. Um, ha- has a significant meaning. This is all coming via Eileen, who we chatted with for a while last night after the episode aired. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Eileen. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, anyway. That's that scene. Yep. So we then follow Dougie and Jeannie as he dro- she drops him off at his place of work. Yeah. Obviously, his car is not there. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so she yeah. Has yeah. To she drive him she was pissed about that as well. It's a reminiscent of Jade yeah. dropping him off. Yeah. She he can't open the door. He doesn't close it behind him when he leaves. Janie's fed up. She, but she just drops him off and and pushes him out and says, "Go to work." And yeah. she's pissed. And and this is when it started making feeling like perhaps it's straining credibility credibility about. Dougie's behavior at this mm-hmm. point because like she wants him to go to work so badly but you know perhaps he has major brain damage right. and you should be checking to see if he's ever going to go to work again yeah exactly it's, it's just very short term thinking it feels like by yeah. everybody um, and it again yeah it just starts straining credibility and I have seen a little bit of feedback on this on the internet mm-hmm. uh, from people just saying yeah this whole Dougie stuff just doesn't work for me anymore and, and I, can, I can definitely see why you know Lynch likes to play with pace and have slow characters and slow buildups and uh you know force them into uncomfortable situations uh but this is really pushing it i feel and it gets even worse once he gets into work um which he does do so he goes uh he heads in just kind of wanders towards uh into the lobby of the building no he first he goes and well he's it's it's like the the courtyard or something like that and he finds a statue of a cowboy yes gunslinger Pointing his gun in a direction. So Dougie kind of points the gun himself and follows this cowboy. Wherever the cowboy is pointing, that's where he goes. And he does eventually go into the right building. He encounters one of his coworkers who has eight coffees that he's bringing with him up to the meeting that starts in five minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. His um, name's Phil Bisbee. Phil Bisbee. I yeah. wrote that one down. You did. Good yeah. job, <laughs> Um, Dougie follows him because of the coffee. Yes. So he knows coffee now. Yeah. And he follows the scent of the coffee and then basically, well, takes poor Frank, yeah. whose coffee that was, yeah. 
Cooper takes it and drinks it down in the in the elevator. In a hilarious scene, it was. It is very it was so funny. great. Him searching the the mug in order to the, find yeah, because the, 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 the lid hole. Yeah, he doesn't understand how that works or or just can't figure out yeah. how to drink the coffee. And it's brilliant. It's yeah. like Monday morning feels. Right? Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. Yeah, how it yeah. is. He's back at work after a three day bender, and yeah, he's he's searching for his coffee. Uh, and this hole. carries him up like it's it's another one of these long extended scenes. We find out that. Uh, Dougie works for Lucky Seven Insurance, mm-hmm. which is interesting again because sevens, number sevens yeah. is also the 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 jackpot numbers that yeah. Mr. Jackpots was winning at the casino the night yeah. before. It's also David Lynch's favorite number. Yes. Yeah. So um, so and then we find out also Dougie's an insurance salesman. So um, or an adjuster. Or an adjuster. adjuster or maybe he works like in the insurance yeah. industry. Yeah. So Phil kind of helps him along to <laughs> the boardroom where we meet some of his coworkers, including Tom Sizemore. Yes. Who I forgot was in this. Yes. Uh, playing a guy named Tony. Yeah. Um, who kind of like headlocks Cooper and says, I cover for you yeah. for the last couple of days you owe right. me. He's obviously, you know, he's playing Tom Sizemore's character. Yeah. You know, he's kind yeah. of a dick and he's great at it. Um, and then, yeah, there's some more. You meet all these other coworkers briefly. There's, there's a man and a woman about the same mm-hmm. age. Uh, he's hitting on the woman. She's not interested. She says, you know, go talk to your wife. She yeah, his name him. is Darren and her name was either Linda or Brenda. Based mm. on the, the name on the cup, and I thought of Linda. If that's yeah. the Linda that the question mark slash giant was talking about, yes, that could be important. Um, but anyway, we get. Um, oh yeah, we got a great scene with Frank, whose yes. coffee was stolen. Yes, and he he gets Phil has ordered an extra green tea, so he gives him the green tea latte or whatever, yeah. and Frank actually enjoys it. Yeah. So, um, but it's hilarious because I love how he's like he's watching the room, right? Yeah, and, and this is one of the this is one of the most American scenes I mm. find is that. The power dynamics in yeah. a boardroom yeah. are just so over the top, insane. Like Frank has to feel like he has to defend his honor because someone else had his yeah, and he has to coffee. drink a green tea latte. Yeah, that's yeah. a wimpy that's a drink. Wimpy, exactly. Yeah. yeah, even though he likes it, but he can't appear to like it too right. much. But he also he has to placate and manage and, you know, expectations exactly, and, and, like and also diffuse the situation. He's not right. going to start a fight over the coffee, but he still has to appear masculine. It's not, it is something very uniquely. Uh, American about yeah. that. Like yeah. I feel like it's it's something you see a lot in American TV and American movies. Yeah, it's um, like, well, it reminds me of like a, oh, Glengarry Glen Ross, right? right? It's about a small town real estate developer, right? I and, think and, everybody knows Glengarry. Okay, Glen so Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> but it's it's these very regular people, but their yeah. lives are amped up by this rhetoric, especially in the the yes. film version with Alec Baldwin's yeah. speech. You know, he's insulting their manhood because. Yeah. They work in. They probably sell shitty houses. Like, yeah. there's no way around that. That's just basic economics. But, you know, in order to be a man and and have that, you know, breadwinner. You ethos, can't drink green tea. You can't drink tea. You green tea, and you got to be a winner. Coffee. You got to always be selling, right? So always be closing. closing. Shit, I got it wrong. <laughs> I'll probably punch me in the face, and I deserve it. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, and the scene is very reminiscent of that. It's like when Tony gets insulted later yes. on. You know, he's physically angry. He's yeah. pissed. It's like, yeah. what did you say to me? What did you say to me? Like, it's not. It's no longer just about doing business and you know getting the best result for your customers and yourself and all this stuff. No, it's about personal. It's a different dynamics. kind of honor. Yeah, it's not business honor. It's personal. It's honor. personal honor, and it's it's a very American kind of approach to it, especially in in cinema. You yeah. know, this is a. Can we talk about this scene a little bit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. With Sorry. the um the the fact that that Dougie calls him out as a liar. Yeah. Because Tony gives this uh, 
Yes, like, no, he it's gives like, like a, an assessment of what uh, claim, his two claims, claims yeah. that they're going to have to pay out. And one was Littlefield, and yeah. he said, oh, well, it's... One, it was it's, arson. They thought it was arson, but, but it's, it's actually going to have to be paid out. Yeah. And, and we get the green light that flashes that's on... That's what I was going to say, yeah, yeah that, that, that uh, Dougie sees this. I don't think anybody else sees it, but it's no. like a green light that looks like reflected light, but... I think or like a laser pointer that's not a pointer, like it's a it's a laser scanner kind of light. I don't know. I it's very unique. Yeah. It it anyway. Dougie <laughs> sees this on his face and and then just says he's lying. And it's really, I mean, other than that that morning when he drank coffee and spat it out all over his kitchen floor and said hi. Yeah. It's the only time that we've heard him not parodying yeah. words back to someone that they've already just said. Yes. He says something of his own accord. Exactly. And and, I, and the fact that he says he's lying, it reminded me of, and I think you said the same thing, that um, of the pilot episode, or maybe it was the second episode, where Bobby is being interviewed. Yeah. And he says, pilot, yeah. yeah, where, where yeah. Cooper accuses him of lying. And, and it's like a, call, a direct callback to Cooper's intuition coming back in. Well, and it feels like it's the green light, at least, is Cooper's intuition manifested in a physical right. way again. Just like with the, the red room on fire curtain exactly. things you know it's it's a physical sign that that this new cooper has access to i wonder if he always just, had access exactly to it, that's what but, made me yes. made me wonder about this because has cooper always been in touch with the black lodge or with some kind of lodge power yeah, that that allowed him to i mean we know that he when he dreamt he dreamt clues that were found in the red room anyway mm. so is, is this where his is this the seat of his intuition it's not some inborn skill he has. It's just access to the lodge, maybe. Yeah. Because it sure seems that's how Dougie Coop is getting all yeah. of his information. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And then, yeah, uh, Tony gets all pissed. And, and Bushnell, his boss, gets pissed, too. And yeah, makes he's like, Dougie go you come see his, me in my office, which is which where, is where we, go. we go next. Yeah. And, and I love this scene because, um, for a couple of different reasons, uh, it's nice to hear... So, Cooper gets uh, a couple of... Well, one one very big clue that you're just like, okay, put it together, Coop. Where Bushnell says something about his best agent, mm-hmm. and Cooper twice says agent. It's like it's like he's you're, he's so close, mm-hmm. Agent Cooper. You're Agent Cooper, but he he ha- he's not there yet. Yeah. Um, I also love the fact that uh, here's his boss being confronted by by Dougie Jones's complete ineptitude. And he still gives him a bunch of case files and he still says, you know, your job is is on the line. Is on the line. Yeah. But I feel like this isn't the first time. If Dougie's no. always been like this, yeah. this is not the first time. So so again, it's like people are still covering for him in a weird way that, well, even, that yeah, even his job he, isn't really hasn't really been on the line. Exactly. Even how he got into the office, two yeah. people had to come yes, and push exactly. him in. Like, right? walk it's like, him in. Like he really cannot do anything. Yeah. That without help. So it's <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really bizarre to watch because yeah, at one, in one hand you got this kind of like cutthroat, yeah. doggy dog, pure capitalism mentality, and then on the other um, hand everybody's just like oh doggy, yeah. and they just you know bring him under his ar- under their arm and, and help him along, and it's it's an interesting dynamic. Like I, I really want to see what Dougie's life was like yeah, before I know. all this, right? The other the other thing that really sticks out to me is, um, and I, it didn't really click for me until this morning. Um, the name on like Bushnell's name, we saw a poster. He used to be a boxer. Yeah. And um, so I, I looked it up because I'm like, I know that name. 
And then it, it clicked for me. I was on the Reddit thread this morning, and they were talking about um, David Lynch's first film, I guess. His first, it yeah. was like a home movie. He calls it a home it. movie now, yeah. yeah. From 1967, where he went around with Bushnell Keeler, who was uh, David's mentor, and inspired him to go to art school or, or inspired him while he was in art school. Um, so he's named this character after him. He actually uses his face on the boxing poster. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. That's interesting. Because um, the so actor sent, kind of resembled that picture a little too, bit, a yeah, little bit, right? yeah. So, but it, so it was just interesting. interesting to me. Like we talked about this, that this is kind of a, um, a rehash of all of David Lynch's yeah. works. And here we have literally the first of David yeah. Lynch's. Films, films, yeah. being referenced on, yeah. and it's an interesting uh, little video. It's on YouTube. We'll put the link. Yeah, we'll throw the link up in the episode description yeah. on SoundCloud. But it's um, it's just like a sailing video. It's yeah. like he he went out, but, but it's, it's still so David Lynch. Lynch. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> like there's that whooshing. There's well, there's just a whooshing. whooshing yeah, it's just nonstop ethereal <laughs> whooshing. That's the only sound. So it's like yeah, it's still but with David beautiful Lynch shots movie. of sails and yeah. the ocean and, and a dog and yeah, and just, it's, you know, it's nice. It's like but it's still, David yeah. Lynch home videos must be such a trip, man. Yeah. Be great to see. Anyway, well, we see one of them. We, got, we do see one of them. Uh, so he gets the case files, and then immediately we catch him out in the hallway, and he's got to pee again. Yeah, and he can't function. And once again, someone literally walks him into walks the him bath. into the women's bathroom yes. and stands guard at the door. Like, what is this place that that? And and who was Dougie? Yeah, and it was uh, Linda, maybe or Barbara or whatever her name was. It, I we, don't. We can't tell. I don't know if we get her name. But Do anyways, we? it was the one who was being hit on earlier, and now she hits on Cooper right before she lets him into the bathroom. Uh-huh. She's like, maybe I'll kiss you now, or something right, or I'll like let that. you kiss me. Yeah. So I got the yeah. feeling this has been going on for quite a while. He's been they've been flirting back yeah. and forth, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. again, a very you know feels like the office <laughs> kind of romance, yeah. maybe something like that. Yeah. Uh, we know Dougie's quite the flanderer, so uh, yes. it wouldn't be surprised if he had a side piece at the at the office. Um, and then he goes in the bathroom and he groans, and it's just hilarious <laughs> again. It's just the funny, and even she laughs, um, which is yeah, just a nice touch. It's it's fun too because uh, there are a couple of different things that that came up for me in this episode that were callbacks to the autobiography. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is this. I, people mentioned it in the last episode when he had to pee. Um, that as a young man, Agent Cooper, before he was Agent Cooper, Dale Cooper, uh, went 12 hours, almost 12 hours without urination and documented it as an yeah, experiment in right. his on his tape recorder. Um, so that, again, came up. There was also a description of the, the first dead body that, he, that Cooper saw when he was a kid yes. that is dressed identically to... Dougie. Yeah. Lime green jacket, tan pants, and brown shoes. And that's Dougie's uniform. Yeah. So um, that just, again, was like, holy hell, yeah. what's going yeah, on what here? What is going on? Um, so I, I, yeah, it's just maybe maybe worth reading some of these ancillary novels again before yeah. we get too much further into, into season three. Anyway. We go next to the Silver Mustang Casino. Yes, we do. And we get... We start off with just, I, I love this shot. Mm. Again, it's just one of my, I don't know why. I, I literally cannot the describe it. The scene in like the yeah, office? Yeah, the security office all with all the cameras, cameras are in the background. Or the, or yeah, the screens of, yeah. of all the security cameras are in the background. And the general manager guy is there. And he just, he looks tiny. And, yeah. and, and the screens exaggerate that in some way. I don't know. It's also just a well-composed shot. There's like three guys watching the things, and then there's the security, head of security, and the general manager, and they're just proportioned nicely. 
It's just again, the color lynch. is nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got this gray palette and the, the flickering silver of the light. too, which yes. is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's, it's a, a striking shot. It is, and it's and again, it's just nothing happens. It's literally just him standing there. But one, you know exactly once, what's going yeah, to happen. You know what's coming. <laughs> And what's coming is... Uh, did we get their names in this episode? I don't think we did. I don't think so. We just know that they're the, the they're, head guys. They're the head guys. Played so they by Robert the Nepper and Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. And they're bad men. They are bad men. They are very bad men. They um, kick his ass and fire him. Yes. Tell him to get out of the state, basically. Yes. Don't come back. Yeah, Jim Belushi says that as he leaves. And, and this scene is, again, one of the most American scenes there is. Um, a, for gangsterism and the way it's the mob is kind of... Because the implication right away is that these guys are mobsters who own a casino. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a regular casino with, you know, short corporate shareholders. This is something run by these guys who lost 450 grand and are pissed about it and take it out in physical violence. And the violence is, again, very interesting because... And very American because, I mean, yes. The, the, so the security guards hold back their boss, the general manager dude... And allow Robert Nieper, Nepper, Nieper, to just pound on him. And it's such a bizarre thing to do to, to like, let your owner beat up your boss <laughs> and just, just have it be a normal thing. You know, they don't really react. In fact, the, the, the non-reaction is summarized by the three ladies in pink who show up yeah. in their skirts. And it's just like, yeah, well, he owns it, so of course he can kick the, his ass. Like... And again, yeah, it's it's all the it's all the American, it's all the Las Vegas, it's all the gangsterism of that being implied in this scene. But there's also just something purely capitalistic about it. It's not just you don't just own the building and the profits of the thing. You own the people who work there. It is they can control your life beyond just you know. It's why it's why Janie is so concerned about him, uh, Dougie going to work and. Uh, here we see it again. The guy's not just losing his job, he's losing his teeth. And it sounds like his ribs. Like, when they're kicking him, there's this really visceral, bone-crunching sound that's that's added on top. That's not the sound you usually get when you kick someone in the stomach. But that's, you know, they've added that on top, and the women just don't react, and the security guards are just like, yeah, yeah, another guy gone. The only guy who re- reacts in any way, really, is the head of security, who then gets the general manager job. Not a promotion that you want, Well, not in this case, it looks like. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love this scene for, I mean, there's a lot of violence towards women in, in Lynch, especially, uh, and in this episode even, but you know, this is an instance where, yes, this is, this is more reminiscent of, uh, Blue Velvet and, you know, little, what's his name? Wadib getting his ass kicked in in Blue Velvet, right? Like Jeffrey Beaumont. Jeffrey Beaumont. Uh, you know, him going into a place where he was at a loss for physical power and then getting it ruthlessly explained to him. That's what happens here still, too. It's not always women who are just helpless victims. It feels like male violence is also always this kind of power dynamic where it's, it's one-sided. It's not really a fight. It is a beating. Uh, David Lynch's physical violence towards men's are always beatings um which is interesting i just i just thought it was worth noting and again very americana uh very tied in with i wouldn't call it americana but yeah it's american let's just call it that you you had nothing to say that whole time no you you just don't care you did fine on your own okay good i'm perfect thank you (laughs) so the next scene we had another uh violent moment i guess where we cut back to uh the rancho rosa estates 
and we get the 119 family. Mm-hmm. The little kid across the street, his, his mom or guardian is passed out and he takes this opportunity to go investigate the car that's been across the way. And we both kind of put our hands over our eyes because we totally expected this kid to trigger the bomb that was gonna blow up Dougie's car. That's not what happens. The black car, muscle car returns and people get out of the car and they're carjackers. They're literally just there to steal the car. Yeah, so I was and abandoned three, and they come back. Three yeah. people get out of the car. I think there's five there's in the five car total. total. Yeah. So these three guys try to jack the car, try to start it, and the car just blows up. And in front just, of In front of this face, kid, yeah. yeah. And so these three guys obviously are dead. The other two take off. The poor kid runs back home and watches this car burn up in the driveway across mm-hmm. the street. Um, his mom or whoever the the drugged out woman wakes up and this is where we get that weird stunner um, music cue which is it's brass instruments it's horns and it feels like um, a very heavy like 18th century baroque like you'd hear it in Amadeus you know like this is this is when Salieri like you know it's one of those big tense moments in a in a baroque yeah orchestra yeah yeah and not not Las Vegas and no and and it goes century. nowhere and that's the really amazing well, yes, thing yes like, that we that we know of I think it's interesting like well, I don't know in that scene literally she just sits up the music she plays looks over. she looks over and that's it like, but you don't, don't get any reaction but, but that's what get... I'm saying we're watching this is what's beautiful about these parts is that we don't know where this is going we have no idea what the next scene is going yes, to be know, like but... so when we watch it in context of the whole eighteen hours. It may go somewhere, but right now, yes, you're right. Yes, it's one of those. But the music loose cue is not going to carry over the next time we start seeing her. In that Maybe exact it scene. will. Maybe it will. Maybe that's her theme. Maybe that's something right, we, yeah, no. that we literally do not know. So that's you can't true. say it's not going anywhere. Well, I'm just saying that. No, I you literally feel can't. Like say. It doesn't. It, you feel like it doesn't go anywhere. Okay, I get it. No, I'm saying it. just logistically, it does not. The, it just ends abruptly. Like, that's You're right. Just surprising, it does. Right? It, so, it is very surprising, and yeah. that's what makes it impressive. Is that most of the other yeah. music cues have fit with some kind of a theme, and this yeah. doesn't fit. Well, it's with been very Twin traditional Peaks music. It yeah. doesn't fit with David Lynch and Angelo Badalamenti music generally. Like it's uh, unless you count the that great northern stunner that yeah, we used yeah, to have. Yeah. But even that was but that like, was another piece that like they didn't, they didn't write that. This one felt like it was written for that particular moment it comes out of nowhere it explodes and then it just disappears for the next shot which is yeah i mean it's very jarring and it's very noticeable so i feel like yeah it's obviously there for a reason i just we don't know what it is yet we don't know um we get to see jade again in the next scene she's Mm -hmm. getting her car detailed or cleaned or whatever and uh the guy who's cleaning her car obviously knows her knows that she's a prostitute asks her about a john that she might have from washington state and hands her the great northern key that dougie dropped on the floor of her car and she has this affection for Dougie that's yeah. very sweet. It's like she is the nicest woman to him. She's still not great. She still like boots well, him out of her car, but or her jeep. But she's still, you know, she she cares for him. It's evident in yeah. in what she how she talks about him. Um, she gets this idea that she's going to mail the key back because on the back it says "if found, mail to." So she drops it in the post box. And I think that that's going to be a crucial piece of evidence that maybe that's the piece that's missing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that's missing that is going to arrive at the police yeah. station. Well, it'll probably um, arrive at the Great Northern, but yeah. Yeah, it'll arrive at the Great Northern, and then somebody at the Great Northern is going to be like, we haven't had physical keys for our rooms since 1995. 
you know and yeah. and i think that's uh, somebody brought it up too that this is going to be how audrey is reintroduced because who else would remember yeah, what agent room? cooper's room number yeah. no ben isn't going to remember that jerry's not going to remember that no. but audrey, audrey will remember knocking every couple nights oh so yeah so she knows remember. she'll know that 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 was agent cooper it, it's just she'll call hawk and hawk will hawk's gonna be the one to find them though i'm i'm, I'm sure that's what's sure. gonna happen speaking of twin peaks Yes. We go back and we get our first shot of the double R. Yes. And we get Norma and yeah. Shelley. Yeah. Norma's cooking the books. Well, not cooking the books. <laughs> she's, she's doing not the cooking. She's doing yeah, the books. Doing there the books go. by paper still, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah, which is interesting. But yeah. Um, um, and yeah, and Becky arrives. With bread for Toad. Yes. This is interesting because it's not the same Toad. Yes. He's... He's the cook yeah. in this one. Whereas yeah. Toad in the previous ones was, was a, a, a customer, like a repeat... Jolly customer. Yeah, so sense. so what's up with the two toads? Yeah. Are they related? Maybe they're related. Oh, maybe. Could be related. Yeah, it was never really clear. But anyways, yes. So they call him Toad. Uh, he picks up the bread. And then from a distance, so from Norma's point of view, we get Shelly and Becky talking. And we it's get, clear what happens. Well, yeah, a few little snippets of dialogue, but it's muted dialogue, so we don't really know. And that's what's beautiful about it is it's a private moment that is being interpreted by us, well, by a Norma. Yeah. It's and, a not-so-private uh, private moment. Yeah, it's one of those because public, you know, private moments. Yes, yeah. you know exactly what's yeah. happening because Shelly goes and takes out a bunch of money from her purse and hands it to Becky. And um, it's, I mean, we knew that her daughter's name was Becky. So here we get, and it's Amanda Seyfried yeah. who plays her. There's a tender moment. She, you know, touches her hair. and Yeah, she, well, she says, I love you to her yeah, mom. Yeah, right. She's, I love you too. And then um, and she's yeah. talking about how uh, he'll get a job or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And then we see her leave and get into the car with this Steven guy who tried to get a job from Mike Nelson earlier in the episode. And yes. uh, and he's driving a white Thunderbird, yes. which is the inverted version of uh, what Bobby right. used to drive, right. right? And it's even like, it's maybe a decade later. <laughs> like it's instead of a 70s one, it's an 80s one. So it's a very old car. Again, it feels like David Lynch loves his older vehicles, right? And but it also is hearkening back to the scene in the pilot where Shelly and Bobby yes, sneak get off into this car. and get into Bobby's yeah. car and Norma watches them from the counter. Here we've got Norma and Shelly watching them from the counter. Um, Becky and Steven recognize that they're being watched and pull away, drive back and park by the dumpsters. Um, they share a bump of something. Yeah, I assumed Coke, but... It, it might be the designer drug that, yeah. that they're trying to track down. Yeah. Steven looks like a heroin addict. Oh, so yeah. It could or a meth be, head or something. Yeah, yeah it, like it could be way worse early stages, than, yeah. than what it is. So we get that part of the conversation, and then we get Shelly and Norma as well talking about yeah, how something. they've been down this road before. It's, it's you know, yeah. history is repeating itself in a way. Yeah. Um, and you kind of feel like there's a, there's a certain inevitability to it, I think, that... Yeah. Shelly was going to have a child who's going to be not much better off than... She's going to make some of the same mistakes that her mom made. But it feels like she's making more Laura mistakes. And oh, yeah, Especially absolutely. with the drug use and the way she's filmed in the scene is yes. very much Laura-esque, especially yeah. the blonde hair. Michelle well, was always kind of a dirty brunette or yeah. something like that. And the way that um, she, she does do the drugs and then kind of spaces out a bit. And the camera... Yes. does this thing where it's it's like the color is very saturated and it's kind of a weird wide angle yeah close shot, up though of close her face up, yeah and she's kind of spacey dazed out as this very 1950s beautiful 1950s Pop uh, song. Really. yeah um, um i love how you love me. i love how you love me yeah so it's it feels again like another instance of americana mm-hmm. but 
with yeah like that again with the drug yeah, yeah drug use undertone right and yeah and, and just the way she she reacts and she's just happy and smiling but it's all the drugs like when yeah. she before she did the drugs with him he wanted to kiss her and she did she didn't seem to enjoy it at all. And well, and she's kind of upset with him because he isn't getting a job. And they just took $72 from her mom. And, and, and he wants to go out for dinner and stuff yeah, and spend the money that way. Like yeah, it's, so it's it's yeah, it's, it's strange. It is strange. So it's, uh, but I mean, again, once again, you get their whole relationship, mm-hmm. the power dynamics there. I mean, it was interesting to me that uh, she laughed at his terrible pun yeah. about bread. What did he say? I'll get you some bread. Why she says, and he goes because I've I heard you've been kneading it all day. She works for a bakery, so it's like oh, it was pretty terrible. Yeah, but the, the, but it, my it, inner dad laughed. Yeah, exactly. Quite hard, and she laughed. She did, and it's like that's what that's what got you. I guess from him so. is is that, and it's you know whatever. Well, and he can probably get her drugs. drugs. Yeah, yeah. Which seems like they it seems like they really are setting her up to be the new Laura, which is unfortunate. I hope that she doesn't have. Like, I would hope that that, that isn't going to be a trope that they're going to fall back on, well, that it, someone is going to be, yeah. you know. Well, and it seems like they're married, so we do get... Well, we know a, that a at the credits. end. We only yes. get that from the closing credits because they share a last name. They share name. a last name. So either she's dating her brother <laughs> or, yes, they are married. So, uh, and it's interesting. So we'll, 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 we'll see them in future episodes. I'm sure I'm, I'm very sure. So this is not the end of Becky and Steven. So back in Las Vegas, Dougie's leaving after a... Long hard day at work, presumably. I don't he's know what his, he's. Yeah, he well, has he his case files. Yeah, but he's got yeah. his case files in his arms. Um, he gets yelled at by all of his coworkers in the elevator, in unison, because he's standing backwards, which is how I'm going to stand in the elevator every time I take. Just an elevator facing now. everybody. Just who's facing in there. everybody. Just awkward. Everyone's on their phone in the elevators now. I guess that's true. Um, so he goes out into the that outdoor lobby space or whatever and he stares up at this cowboy statue again and he's fixated he's totally fixated and i noticed something that was interesting um that again coming back to his the autobiography that um the film that dale cooper says is his favorite in the opening entry of his autobiography is called the fbi story with jimmy stewart and the the poster at least the poster that's used on the dvd cover is of Jimmy Stewart as an FBI agent with his arm outstretched with a gun in his hands and he's pointing out like he's a lawman, right? Um, So this is frontier law. This is frontier justice. It's a very American thing. Like we're in Nevada. It's the Wild West. It's, you know, and of course this would be something that Agent Cooper as the consummate lawman, this is something that he would be completely drawn to. Um, The fact that he's also drawn to the cowboy's shoes is interesting. Yeah, well, he, which is, does that happen in this scene? It happens it's at, at the, the end. end for sure. You come back to him because he doesn't move. So yeah. this is at five thirty that he leaves, and he's just there. And then we catch him some indeterminate time later. Yeah, uh, and, and he's credits. still there. And he's still there, and he's still looking at the same stuff. Yeah. You know, I, this wrote this scene. I just wrote down that he was looking more at his legs, like in yeah, between yeah. his legs, and just right. examining the contours and stuff. And again, my and this is the thing. Like people are saying that. Uh, this is kind of a touching scene because, like you said, mm-hmm. he's he's fixated by this this figure of law enforcement and yeah. and great American from a from folk a romantic kind of, past, yeah, exactly. Right? But all I could see watching him was like, man, this guy's gonna starve to death. Like he can't, yeah, eat, right. he can't function. He can't do any of these things. Yeah, and nobody's coming to pick him up. And when we see him later on, and no one still picked him up, I'm like, I, I wasn't wistful at all. Yeah, it kind of missed the mark for me. 
uh, I get the sense that you're supposed to view this as like, yes, this is Cooper being wistful for the thing that he's kind of starting to get a grasp on, maybe, of his own past right, self. it's also that sadness that he's been forgotten or something. Yeah, but I didn't feel sadness either. I just felt anxiety. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. Just like, no, that, this guy needs way more help. And, and that's the thing. Like, that's, that's you being pedantic again. Well, a little <laughs> bit, but I feel like it's so unbelievable now. It's pushing so much beyond uh, what's credible that... I'm I'm forced to feel this for him because I I I don't know what's going to happen to him in the future. Well, that's something that David Lynch plays with all the time. You know that, right? I mean, it's I know. how he pushes boundaries and makes. I know, but it just it left me yeah. without the emotional space to really feel, interpret that scene any other way. Which is just it just it was just my way of approaching it. So obviously, it's not you know the be all end all, but uh, it was different than I think what he was going for. So our next scene goes to the sheriff's department. We get Andy and Hawk looking over documents. And uh, this reminded me of the scene in Sleeping Beauty where um, Maleficent talks to her minions and all these 18 years they've been looking for a baby, but really they should have been looking for Aurora as a grown woman and they just didn't know. Andy's looking for Indians in in these documents and Hawk is just like, you could just imagine uh. the dialogue in Hawk's head because Andy's like, well, I, I haven't found any Indians. Have you found any Indians? Hawk's like, shit, I'm going to have to go through all, all of this. All this stuff too, yeah. All, I'm going to have to do everything myself because Andy's not looking for Andy's the right thing. Andy's misinterpreted once yes. again, yes. Yeah. But that's Andy's way of doing things. He always comes at them from that, that angle that's uniquely Andy's and stumbles across like that's his method of detection mm-hmm. and it works sometimes so maybe in looking for indians andy will find the answer yes he often it does made very but anyway it just made me laugh yeah because but I, I mean the fact that he still calls them indians is still it just feels a little icky still well i, I think that's just the way it's well, yeah how old is andy now he's like a 60 some year old maybe man he's not gonna stop calling them indians because it's not the well i, I think i think you know the department of indian affairs is probably still <laughs> it's true yes, called that. yes. They call them indian reservations yeah. like it's it's yeah. kind we of still have the indian the act even we in do yeah, so, so i mean it's we never it's called them there. indians no but it's true. <laughs> it does feel very icky to well just it's just like it was a choice that they made mm-hmm. was to mm-hmm. have them call that so i just it's interesting speaking of icky what are you talking about <laughs> Don't you know where your freedom is, Lindsay? That was the first line. It was. You're right. You're absolutely right. I just didn't want Dr. Dakota to become Alex Jones. That's really... <laughs> uh, well, no, he's like the left-wing Alex Jones. I know, but still, yeah. he's like this crackpot with a YouTube channel. It's I. It fits. It's totally perfect. Oh, yeah. Dr. Dakota's charla- charlatanism has branched out into the 21st century. He's got a, a Wi-Fi connection. He's broadcasting. He's doing what we're doing. Yeah. He's got a podcast, but he talks about left-wing Well, it's a, and it's a video. It is. A yeah, video cast, I, I guess. But yeah. So uh, he's up on Whitetail Peak, the roof of American Indo-Kush. Yes. <laughs> that is. And uh, yeah, and he has Call all these... Dr. Amp, which Dr. I Amp. thought was great too. Yeah. Um, and he's got all these lo-fi science, sound effects, science effects, sound effects. Um, Lighting effects. Yeah, and all this stuff. He's playing the Stars and Stripes forever. Yeah, if you notice, yeah, on but the he crank. cranks it up. Yeah, what is like it's that? it's very lo-fi. Yeah, it's not. This well, it's off not, the grid. He is yes. off the grid. This is yes. his one connection. Is yeah. his show, um, and he but goes he must, into the speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty great speech. It is a great speech. <laughs> what's on your mind tonight? I mean, you know, I'm going to tell you what's on mine. We're sinking down deep in the mud, and the fucks are at it again. The same vast global corporate conspiracy different day 
You can't see it without a cosmic flashlight. Guess what? I've got one. Oh, yeah. And its beam, it penetrates the, the Ignatius rock of ignorance. It flips that rock over, and there they are, exposed, wriggling, squirming, crawling on their bellies like foul maggots, frantically racing back to the cover of darkness that they so crave. We're coming for you. And, and he's just going nuts. He's, he's yeah, going like, way over the he, top. He, it reminded me of my grandpa when my grandpa gets mad and his face gets so red. And I, I just, I'm afraid he's going to yeah, have a stroke explode. or something. Yeah. Um, that's what this, but he takes a break and is it? Huckleberry, Huckleberry extract, extract and pure artisanal water from Whitetail White Mound. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, he is he is totally. I feel like this is a commentary on again a type of American society that we're living in now, where um, everybody has an opinion, everybody has a platform, everybody can do whatever they want, they can say whatever they want, and maybe this is this is it seems like a stereotype of Washington State, maybe in a sense that. There would be people who live up in the woods and do this. Yeah. I don't know that. I imagine. Yeah, that that, yeah, that exactly. Fits. I feel it fits the the, the zeitgeist. It's yeah. like, yeah, of course, there's a, a crazy old man who's wearing an SS uniform. I yeah, I really don't. Know. I don't think it's an SS uniform, no. but it does strike that like there's some lightning bolts on yeah. his collar. Yeah. Um, he's got, he's got some the weird, hat on. And, yeah, which I think some people have traced back to some uh, Hawaiian regiment from World uh, War Two, maybe or something. So there's some links there. I mean, Jacoby obviously has a lot of fascination for Hawaii, which he is apparently abandoned. There's no real reference to Hawaii that I saw in this scene at all. No, um, no, he's gone the other. He's words. gone completely off grid. Like yeah. he is living up in the woods. Yeah. He's chosen. These are the things he's going to get upset yeah. about: corporate greed and and environmental and, toxins, exactly, yeah, yeah, and poisons and food and everything. Um, and again, but then at the end, yeah, what is he doing? He's selling golden shovels yes, to is. shovel the shit out. Yes. And again, you don't get any more American than. Yep. This this is the snake oil salesman. Oh, Basically, oh, yeah. here's all your problems, and here's how you fix them. You buy you a golden buy shovel yeah. that I've 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 painted twice, yes. two coats, two coats, guaranteed. Um, and yeah, he's he's filmed an infomercial for himself. Yeah, twenty nine ninety nine yeah. for a shovel yeah. that allows three to four weeks for delivery or whatever it is. Two to four. Two to four. Yeah, and, shipping uh, handling extra. Yep. Yeah, and. And yeah, again, it's just like, and this was great just for all the theories that oh, have been yeah. bouncing out there. We oh, had yeah. some of our own about golden shovels and what they all meant. And then now he's just selling them yep. because he's got to make a living somehow. And I guess so. And so he's not a psychiatrist anymore. No. And in the secret history of Twin Peaks, which yeah. is interesting, you get a lot of this kind of uh, lobbying and thought processes in some of his letters in mm-hmm. The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Yeah, you see like the seeds of it starting back yeah. in 1989 or yeah. earlier. He's talking about corporate greed again and, and those kind of left-wing talking points. And here it's just, it's come, that's, he's in he's in the, his, uh, his own echo chamber, right? Yeah. And he's like, this is the absolute truth. But he's not alone because we do get Nadine, yes. our first shot of Nadine, watching and just smiling and just like, In yeah. a room full of drapery. I don't know if you notice that I there's didn't. drapery everywhere. So I, I'm awesome. hoping, fingers crossed, that that she's also tapped into the charlatanism yes. of American middle class yeah. 21st century. Maybe she has her own YouTube channel and this is yeah, reciprocal. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They subscribe on each other's. <laughs> and and then, then Jerry also, and Jerry. sitting up in the middle of the woods. So they, they must have pretty good... 
uh, LTE coverage. Yeah, there's a, there's a cell phone tower somewhere. Yeah, there. yeah. Because he's watching on an iPad and he's you know yeah smoking. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, and again, this was just a great. Great scene, just yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. Again, I have no idea what if anything's going to come of it, or if this was all we were going to see of Doctor Jacoby. Yeah. I hope not. I hope not. I hope I hope he I does hope use the gold shovel yeah. for something, but yeah. we'll see. So, we go to the Pentagon at Pentagon. this point. So yeah, jumping from the woods outside Twin Peaks to the Pentagon, it doesn't get any more jarring than that, I guess, right? And it's very strange. Yeah, it's true. And we get Colonel Winston Zedmore. I mean, Colonel Davis. Yes. Um, <laughs> Played by Ernie Hudson. Played by Ernie Hudson. Uh, Colonel Davis, probably a a reference to Don Davis. Yes. Who played uh, Major Major Briggs. Major Briggs, yeah. So he's... I never thought of that, yeah. He's explaining that to Cindy, Cindy who is the... His aide or his... Somebody reports to him. Somebody. That... um, Or she comes in and says that there's another hit... There's been a hit on a database, yeah. Yes, on Major Briggs. And this is the 16th in 25 years that they've had. So... I initially thought that this was, like, I don't know why I thought this, that there were 16 times a body has been found that well, they no, thought that, was major Well, races. right, because you, you associate it right away with, oh, my God, they, it's a body. But no, they it's don't know it's a body. Yes, this is just a fingerprint hit. So yeah. so now I'm thinking that the previous 15 times have been Major Briggs's fingerprints found somewhere at a crime scene or somewhere. Was he cleaning up after Cooper or something? Maybe, Who knows, right? Like right? It's all sorts But of this time... Colonel Davis is sending someone to check this out yeah. in South Dakota. They're going to find a body, and they're yes. going to know that this is Major Briggs. And I think that's going to start putting things together. Well, because what he says is that, yes, if this is real, and it won't be, but if it is, we have to call the FBI. Yeah. So, yeah, these links are starting to be... Yes, made. Yeah. And, and this is, like, threaded. one of things. You're like, it's a super short scene. You're like, ah, does anything really happen? Well, yeah, it, it does. It sets up things and, and calls back to things and... Really, it's it's really brilliant for such a short scene with such little dialogue to set up all of these questions. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so then we go to the roadhouse. Yes. And we meet a character who remains nameless for the entirety of... of well, he's only in the one scene. He's only in the one scene, but we don't know his name until the end credits. But he's bad. Yeah. He is not a good dude. Well, let's let's give his name. No, just let's so wait. Let's wait until the end to okay, give his name. Okay, Although sure. everybody knows, let's just give his name. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> He's just the first name. Richard Horn. There you go, Richard Horn. Uh, with an E. With so an E. So it is yes, of the of Horn course, Clan. Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, he's smoking next yep. to a no-smoking yes. sign, which is—I mean, anyway. it doesn't get any more badass than that, <laughs> right, true. Aiden? That's right. Um, unless James was doing it, then it'd the, be even more badass somehow. No, it'd be cool. Yeah, it's true. James has always, always been, been cool. cool. Uh, so uh, somebody, a bartender, bar owner with a French-Canadian accent. Um, I'm guessing another Renault, maybe. Or yeah. maybe they just hire a bunch of French-Canadians. For yeah, it's, just that, that's, it's like AC Australians Canadians. going to, to Jasper, Jasper and Banff. Banff. Yeah, they just, they, that's where they go. Uh, but it's played by Vincent Castellanos, who was yeah. the one of the hitmen in Mulholland Drive. So mm-hmm. uh, great casting. I think he, he does it really oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wants him to put out the cigarette. He doesn't want to. He's not going to do it. But then Deputy Chad walks up. And, of course, he's he's being a total Chad. Ugh, Chad's the worst. Chad is the worst. Because he, he, he doesn't ask him to put out the cigarette, but he asks for a cigarette yeah. from him. And Richard gives him a pack of Morley's, which I thought was a great... Yeah. Uh, it's, like, it's like the show... But brand, it right? has it has all these links. Look it up, Aiden. If you haven't yet, look it no, up. No, I know it's on all X-Files, these shows. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like the TV yes, show. Yes, but brand, the, but I right? think just the fact that 
it it puts Twin Peaks in the same universe as the X Files. Oh. I love that. And Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. Aiden. <laughs> okay. And Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah. And everything else from like the sixties on. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Anyways. So uh, there's a bunch of money in this cigarette case. So. So obviously drug dealing. Drug dealing. These are the these are the Bobby and. Cliff Howard. Cliff Howard of of uh, Fat Tra- Trailer Park. Yeah, this fame. is yeah. this is their version, and it's in Twin Peaks. So mm-hmm. they've infiltrated the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department, yeah. which is sad. Um, the the next thing that I mean, this guy is smoking still, and and a girl at the next booth asks him for a light, and he like violently sexually accosts her oh yeah well, physically assaults it, her it doesn't start that way it, like it starts even before uh, Chad or the bartender or whoever's arrived mm-hmm. um, they're kind of making eyes yeah, they're, they're looking back well they're like checking them out yeah. and, you know it's a bar it's what you do right yeah and then yeah it's when she approaches dashed. she's yeah she asks and he's like come sit down and then she does and they that's when it goes. Again. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just saying it's not. It's not as simple as he just goes straight. No, I know, thing. but it, that is exactly what happens. It is. That there is yeah. no foreplay. This it goes yeah. straight to. Do you want to fuck me? And it's it's very uncomfortable. Like I felt. Well, it's not just. Do you want to fuck me? It's like grabbing her. Yeah, and like squeezing he's going to choke and like her. Choking and her. It's, it's and even when people ask him to stop, he's like, no. Like, he just starts laughing. He, and he's making fun of them. Ugh. So he is so evil and compounded with this is the fact that the band playing on stage, which is. I think they're called Trouble with the Bang Bang Bar. Yeah. That's what I've heard them reference. Yeah. Or just Trouble. Or just Trouble, maybe. Thought, yeah. But anyway, um, so these... It, it's an instrumental song that's being played. There's red and light, red and blue lights mm-hmm. on the stage. And then certain scenes, certain shots are intercut with these strobe effects. Strobes. Which immediately sets my heart racing because I think about all the other times we've seen strobes and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um while this is happening, you have this intense evil being perpetrated on a on an innocent young woman. In a, yeah. I mean, what does that remind you of? That's Bob. That's Bob murdering Maddie in the Palmer living room, right? Yeah. So I, I can't help but think that this is. I mean, I, I've I've called him Lodge adjacent. Is that what I'm yeah, calling him? Yeah. I don't have any proof that he's part of the lodge, but. And we can get there. We we've asked. We'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. But I think that this is. We're, it's not the last we're going to see of Richard Horn, and I think his story goes a lot deeper than yeah. just being yeah a descendant uh, of a Horn. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, speaking of evil, we get the Do next you know scene. Preston? She's looking at Mr. Oh. C. She's she's investigating <laughs> Dale yeah. Cooper. Yeah. She, well, she's investigating his fingerprints. Yeah. At first, she starts like wistfully looking at his photo, yeah. like a young, young photo Cooper, of yeah. young Cooper. Um, and then she's looking at the the current mug shot. She's looking at the fingerprints. Something that Eileen brought up last night in our conversation was that she figures that the the fingerprints have been inverted or flipped or something. They're mirror images, which might be how they figure out that this isn't actually their Agent Cooper, that it's some mirror image doppelganger because the fingerprints are different or something. Yeah. But I'm again, thinking that's what we're what we're going to be getting. Yeah, but we, we don't get it here. No. And, and again, this is one of those things where, because it's an 18-hour movie and an episode, this scene just hangs there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of dissatisfying. I'm like, why are we getting this scene? We don't know. 
You're we way don't learn too anything. Critical, from this. Man. You just was, gotta let these scenes live. That's what I'm breathe. saying. Yeah, it's it's harder when it's only one episode at a time. Yeah. <laughs> when it was four, I was like, yeah, well, and, okay, and I can because that. because we know that we might not get an answer to this for another five hours, right? So yeah. So we have to just kind of. Yeah. But I think that's what's beautiful about it is that it doesn't have to have all the answers. Right no, now. no. We just have to sit there and be okay. Watching Tammy Preston's eyes move over a page. Yeah, and, and clicking yeah. on a Mac, which, yeah. sorry, FBI don't use Macs, probably. How do you know? Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and and this, I mean, okay, so Christabel has done a pretty good job so far of what we've been asking, asking her to do, um, which has been limited. Uh, but here, again, it's like, you can tell she's not an actress. She doesn't yeah. engage. It's it's not an engaging thing to watch her watch things, whereas perhaps an actress with a bit more experience and, and nuance would be able to do it. I mean, it's it's a stupid criticism because whatever. Again, it's kind of a throwaway scene right now, but it was noticeable. I was like, yeah, it feels a little awkward watching yeah. her just on her own, right? So, um, but I feel like it stuck out a little. We're we're gonna get. Uh, the biggest criticism that people have had about Christabel so far is the way that she's been portrayed. And in that the part four where she's eye candy, literally, for Gordon and Albert, well, feels kind of exploitative she, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, it does. I so mean, getting I more than that would be nice. Well, and, and here, here we it do, feels yeah. like we are going to get more. Like she's yeah. investigating something. She's probably going to come up with some link. It kind of dashes my previous theory that maybe she was a mole or something. <laughs> Like I thought, I I really thought like that would be interesting for her to be the the mole in the FBI that, you know, or or a mole in the FBI like what uh, Wyndham well, Earl was worried about. She could be still. She could be working for Denise instead she of could Gordon, be. right? We don't I mean, know. Who yet. knows, right? Yeah. But it 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 makes you think that maybe there's more to this, more to her. I hope so, anyway. Yeah. Um, so we get then the final scene. Yes. And it is Donald well, Coop. it's final. Well, it's basically, yeah, still. yeah. Um, so Doppelkoop, uh, is getting his phone call. Yeah. Um, and they plug it in and everything. They leave him alone and then they watch from the security room again. But Cooper, well, Doppelkoop waits for, uh, Warden Murphy to get, he's like, now that we've all arrived, now that we've all been assembled or however he says it, um, then he makes the phone call and he, he, he references a Mr. Strawberry, which doesn't, immediately doesn't matter but it matters to the warden. Like, yes. we don't know Mr. Strawberry, but Warden Murphy does. So, I mean, you can speculate till the cows come home about what this means. Well, the way he reacted and the way Cooper then says, uh, he's oh, not Mr. Strawberry, calls. he's not taking calls. So is Mr. Strawberry actually dead already? And or is, the he, knows this is he some kind of, like, is the warden involved in some kind of illegal? Yeah. So warden, or um, Mr. Strawberry's in prison, maybe? Or, yeah. you know, like, there's something... People have speculated maybe there's some kind of sexual connotation. He's involved in some kind of yeah. perverted yeah, scam you know, or whatever. something. Yeah. But uh, it, it doesn't matter because uh, Doppelkoop picks up the phone and punches in a random bunch of numbers. Well, so he punches in a couple and then there's like a, yeah. a pause for like a modem sound. Like it's yeah. not like a 1990s era modem. Yeah. It goes click and makes a little buzz. And then he punches in a bunch more. Which reminds us totally of the way he hacked into the FBI yeah, yeah, database. Just, blah, 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 just random blah, 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 letters and yeah. numbers, right? Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah, because what happens here is that all the electrical systems go yeah. nuts. There's alarms and sirens and lights flashing. Nobody can figure out what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on and they can't hear him and so that's when he then uh talks into the phone and says the cow jumped over the moon yeah so that happens and then when he hangs up everything goes back to normal yeah. and uh, the warden is understandably scared yeah <laughs> what did this guy yeah. just do yeah 
And um, so there's been a lot of thinking about the couch over the moon. I think far too much. I think it's a it's a blue rose. I think it's just a it's a throwaway line uh, that you know could have been anything, any sort of tomfoolery. I think would have functioned here mm-hmm. just fine. But there has been quite a few theories about what. Uh, the cow jumped over the moon comes from the poem Hated a Little or Hided a Little, which is a nursery rhyme that uh, has its origins potentially as far back as Elizabethan England. Um, there are a lot of different interpretations. Folklorists and uh, people, scholars, don't really have any firm idea of what this actually means. And one of the theories is that it relates to uh, a series of constellations that are visible in the night sky in the northern hemisphere at the end of winter and the beginning of spring. So you've got the cat and the fiddle, you've got um, the cow, which would be Taurus, the constellation Taurus, uh, the moon, obviously, um, the little dog, which could be uh, Canis Minor, um, or it could be referring to the dog star and Canis Major, which is the the bigger of the two and can and obviously the dog star Sirius is the brightest star in the sky so could be relating to that um and then the dish and the spoon which could be the little dipper the big dipper uh all of these are constellations that you would have seen at the end of winter when it was time to start planting your crops so it when this poem was first kind of written down in the form that we hear it nowadays it was in the late 18th century when people in the New World were, you know, advancing their settlements. And maybe this was a rhyme that taught them how to plant in this new place that maybe had different rules of when you planted and everything based on what they knew back in England or France or wherever they came from. And then you've got Native American links as well with... Um, with constellations and and things like that which I, I you know in doing my research it made me think maybe there's something to this that could be relating to hawk's heritage but i think more than anything the fact that he says the cow jumps over the moon um relating if if this is the interpretation you go with and i think that's not wrong it's it's something to consider because we have heard that the stars turn and a time presents itself is something that's come up it's part of the message that the law gave to hawk mm-hmm. uh we've had the the conjunction of jupiter and saturn in the original series being the time that the lodge doors opened constellations are something that exist in the canon of twin peaks and as much as we have canon so it's entirely possible that this could be some kind of a clue about a time or a place or something that relates to the story of mr c maybe in Taurus, when Taurus is in the sky near the moon or in the springtime at some point when you would see Taurus, maybe something is supposed to happen. It, it is a very kind of Frostian kind of approach, yeah. right? He loves this kind of stuff. And it and again, yeah, it did play a huge part in the end of season two and right. when they kind of discovered the conjunction and everything like that. Um I mean, it could be a stretch. It could be a major stretch. No, but, but I, I mean, it's definitely possible. I, I, again, yeah, I'm not a huge believer, but absolutely could be there. Um, and it, again, springtime is, you know, the third month. Uh, sure. So Dougie's registration exactly. could have been appropriated there as well. So it's it's worth considering. Move on. The final scene uh, takes us to Buenos Aires. Yeah. And this is where we find out that that's where the initial scene took us. Yeah. 
um, because we see that single light bulb in an alleyway or something, or I between it, two buildings yeah, or something Yeah, no, like I thought that. it was, like, inside just a dilapidated Could be. building. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Uh, and we get that black box on, a, on what looks like a metal dish or a metal plate, yeah. and there's two lights on the box that blink, yeah. and then the box shrinks down to nothing, and we get this... What looks like a silver pellet. Yeah. It's be. not a well-formed marble or an orb like we no. had from Dougie. Dougie, yeah. But more of a, like a melted or crushed yeah. um, bead of, of what looks like silver. Well, it's, yeah, it's a silvery substance. Yeah. Some sort, yeah. Uh, which, again, just links up with Argent, Argentina, Silver Mustang. We've got another instance of metals being created out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so alchemy comes into it here. Uh, and of course, when we found out Buenos Aires, my immediate thing was like, "Oh my god, David!" Yeah. But we did film a scene. We're going to see Philip Jeffries. <laughs> Not and, quite. Well, and, well, maybe but, we did. Maybe Philip well, Jeffries is the silver pellet or something. Well, yeah. Was he in the box? Because who was she texting? Yeah. Because the other when we saw that earlier scene with uh, the lady Lorraine, Lorraine. texting uh, via the old BlackBerry. Your immediate thought was, okay, this is the woman who was given the job by right. the other guy in Las Vegas. But she's not talking to that guy. No, she's, talking she's talking to somebody. Well, as far as we can tell, yes. it's implied that she's talking to the black box. Yeah. Um, which beeps twice when after her message is sent. So, and Cooper's done the same thing here, except for he's maybe sent like an auto-destruct signal or something like that. And we know that he has been in talking to Philip Jeffries. He mm-hmm. claims as much. And, and he talks to Philip Jeffries via Black Box. Via Black Box. So, so I mean, perhaps that's where his spirit is located or who something. Who knows? But I mean, the, I think it's, it's just, it's a lot of inferences based on uh, the location and based on other scenes that come around it. So we have no answers for None. this. If you have theories, we'd love to hear them. Absolutely. So um, the final scene takes us back to Las Vegas and we get... Uh, Dougie standing at this touching the shoes of this statue as the security guard tries to usher him off but again doesn't really seem all that concerned with this man who's been standing there for presumably well it it could be hours we have no idea there's no time frame or anything yeah it feels like it's later though but I don't think he's going to move all night that's the impression we get yeah and uh, and then we're played out yeah. Out of the episode, and that's yes. the end. And we do get, and yeah, and Dougie is focused more on the shoes. Yeah, so. he's he's stroking the shoes, which yeah. I think is interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more. I mean, the idea that that Cooper is filling Dougie's shoes mm-hmm. is well, something and Cooper that, left his own behind. And Cooper left his own world. behind. But I mean, that idea of filling someone's shoes is is, you know, he's taking somebody else's place. Yeah. And and shoes are what grounds you to the earth. It's what grounds you to mm-hmm. your life. You walk a mile in someone's shoes and then you know who they are, right? So, I mean, there's there's a lot of links that are being made here with, with footwear that were made way back in the original series, too, with Leo and his new shoes and mm-hmm. and Phil Gerard being a shoe the salesman. shoe salesman, yeah. With yeah. only one pair or one shoe out of the pair yeah. in his traveling suitcase. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there it is. That was the part five of The Return. I will tell you three things. So now it's time for our... Ask John segment. Yes. Is that what we're calling it? No, we're calling it I Will Tell You Three Things. I Will Tell You. Well, okay, yes. That is the Obviously. official name. Thank you. Uh, so 
So we've asked John three questions. Three questions. Uh, he has three questions per episode. That's our and agreement. And he has given us three answers. Yes. So let's talk about this. Number one, Richard Horn. Who are his parents? What did John say? John says, I have a hard time believing it could be anyone but Audrey's kid, and she's a single mother. Is he a wheeler deep down? <laughs> Doesn't act like it, but I hope there's some kind of inner nature that blooms out of that guy because I don't like the idea that Audrey gave birth to a Frank Booth. That's a very good point, and it is very icky to think that this could be Audrey's son. But I really don't know what else you're supposed to think. I think we put a poll out last night asking about it, and Audrey came in overwhelmingly in first place. Well, it was close. No, nah, it was closer to 50% of people thought that Audrey was. Second yeah. place was Jerry. Yeah. Um, and he does bear a striking resemblance to Jerry Horn, to the actor. Yeah, name. that's so true. That's a good point. It's possible that this but is... But, I mean, they would show DNA. Yeah, of course anyway, they would. So, yeah, 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 so that's not yeah. completely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. He does sport a mole... On his left eye, or beside oh, really? his left eye. So, I, I mean, that could be... But anyway, um, it brought up a lot of questions. When, when in between the episodes last night, I went for a little bit of a drive because I needed to collect my thoughts before we watched it again. And as I was driving, I thought to myself, what if this is Audrey's son by Mr. C, by Doppelcooper? And there's a couple of reasons for it. Aiden, you can tell me if I'm way off base with here. Go for with it. This, but... Um, it seems like with the strobe effect that we saw, there's some kind of evil that is lingering around him or that follows him somewhere. He certainly doesn't act like Ben Horn or Jerry Horn were bad guys, but they weren't evil. Not like this. They didn't. This dude's I mean, bad. Jerry had his moments with Blackie in in season. Yeah, two he was he was mean. Where he could be yeah. mean, but this was like this was beyond that. This yeah. was way beyond that. Um, yeah. And then we had the the issue. So people were like, no, 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 it can't be. It can't be because Cooper left town and Audrey was recovering from the, the bank explosion. And But we did have that reference to Wally Brando being 24 years old and having never met Cooper. And how the, a considerable amount of dialogue was spent, expository dialogue was spent talking about... How that, he never met Cooper. Yeah, yeah, and that whole timeline didn't really match up depending on what time frame we're looking at in the town of Twin Peaks. So we still don't have a firm date for that. But I think if if it is modern, if this is 2016 and Wally Brando was only 24, then possibly Cooper was in town up until 1991, 1992 maybe, as late as that. So maybe he stuck around town. Maybe he did have time to have a relationship with Audrey. Maybe they yeah. did have a child. Yeah, the it's, timeline it's, is so murky. It's Especially so when murky. you get into special or the special history, the secret history mm-hmm. of Twin Peaks and what goes on there, um, which you know it illuminates a little bit more, perhaps about Major Briggs' uh, role in the last twenty-five years, um, but does not absolutely clarify what happened with Cooper right. or any of the other characters. So, yeah, it's murky. Uh, murky. It's murky. It's murky. <laughs> it's murky. Uh, and it's it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, I agree. I think. I think that makes the most sense of all the possible horns it would be. It would be I just, Audrey I can't, with, I can't see it being... His pure evilness. Like, yeah. it's just, it's so unadulterated there. And the, the strobe effect, I think it adds like, is that up. The, that's not him getting anything from Audrey. And maybe there's, there's maybe Audrey skipped town. Maybe she wanted nothing to do with this kid. Maybe, you know, she... Well, I could see her... This Rosemary's her, baby kind of freaked her out and she left. And, well, and I'm thinking that she spent quite a considerable amount of time looking for Cooper after this. It could be. And that's why... 
she is the woman who we're going to get. Yeah, when, maybe. When, and maybe when, the FBI knew that she fathered, a, or that she fathered. Yeah, she maybe. mothered, but she mothered a child. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe the FBI knew that that Audrey and Cooper had a child together. Maybe that's why they need to find her. Maybe yeah. she's been looking for him all these years. Yeah. Maybe she is the billionaire. Who knows? Yeah. But it does it does raise some interesting questions. I don't like this idea at all. Oh, I, I do. I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's just a great it just, genius it's stroke. It's so yeah. skeevy, but it does feel like it fits mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. So, so question number two. What's in the box in Argentina? John says, looks like the boxes turn into gold bits too when they're called. When they're called, so I wonder if it's a fragments of an actualized soul waiting to combine with its other pieces, similar to what we saw with Dougie, mm-hmm. or at least a ring of some sort. Makes me think about Cooper's ring and then Dougie's wedding band too. While we're at it, so much gold to connect together with just a few more pieces. I hope and right there along with you because yeah yeah yeah, we like yeah Lindsay, you said all about that you know there's a lot of metals floating around there uh i forgot about the ring Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because dougie was wearing the the owl cave ring but he obviously had a wedding ring at some point did he pawn it yeah i didn't i don't recall seeing him with a ring at that point but he i mean maybe he yeah who knows where that that came yeah how that came about but uh something to look out for yeah. Going forward. Yes, absolutely. The fact that these metals, I think we just have to pay attention. Yeah, to yeah, just keep an eye on them. Yep. All right, the third question. How much longer are we going to have to see Cooper fumbling around his Dougie before he comes back to us? This was Aiden's question. Yes, he was very I was very upset. upset. He really wants I don't to like know. it. John says, Cooper's already coming back to us, but I know what you mean. He's longing for his missing shoes. While back in Twin Peaks, a saxophone is playing. So when those two things meet is when we'll get our Dale. Yeah. And I love that, that, that there's, uh, it's, it's a combination of the two. It's, it's the, uh, the shoes and the music. Yeah. Which is something I never would have thought about, that Cooper's shoes would define him. But maybe, there, maybe there's more to it. Maybe Diane has to come into play. Yeah. You know, maybe he's, he's got a, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think... It, the story is the return of Cooper to Twin Oh, yeah, so for sure. So I feel like he and will I, be I at his can't, I can't imagine that it's going to go on for another 10 hours. We're not going to... He's no. not going to return to Twin Peaks in, in the final part of, no, or something. I feel like even Dougie's storyline is, is reaching a conclusion pretty fast. I yeah. feel like he didn't make the call to the guys Yeah, this so episode. we're going to get something in They're the coming after parts. him. If they're, I mean, whoever tried to kill him is going to realize that he probably wasn't... There wasn't three bodies. Or there shouldn't have been three bodies yeah, when Dougie yeah. tried to to leave so they're going to find out that yeah. he didn't die in the explosion they're going to hunt him down probably go to his house and then yeah i feel like that money's going to come into play plus we've got the, we've the, got the key ga- that's that's going to come back to twin peaks at yeah some exactly point. so yeah. that's going to set things into motion no like, i'm just saying like dougie in vegas there's a lot sure. going on there that's that's bubbling between below the surface and i feel like yeah d- uh the mobsters who run the silver mustang or they don't want to see Dougie again mm-hmm. i feel like they're going to see Dougie again yeah so yeah there's there's still a lot to to go on there but we're yeah, it's 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 plodding along. Yeah, very slowly. Well, I mean, think about but it. Beautiful. We're not even a third of the way through yet. No. So if this was a, a traditional three act Hollywood movie, you'd still be in the, the, first the funny character building yeah. phase. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, so we'll see how it goes from here. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. 
or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.